0: Welcome to the Run Lift Mom Podcast, where we're talking about running, lifting, and momming, not necessarily in that order. Today, I have Jen Andrews, mother of two who used to run three to five miles several days a week, probably like a lot of listeners of this show. Guys, her life was turned upside down when a pedicurist found a pea-sized tumor on her right foot which led to a diagnosis of sarcoma, which is a rare form of cancer for where there's no known cure. Doctors told Jen that amputation was her best option to become cancer-free, and she did it. This is a powerful story of a courageous mother who is making her trial a testimony. Without further ado, I present to you Jen Andrews. Right. I am so excited to have Jen Andrews. Jen, welcome to the Run Lift Mom podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. So Jen, I want you to take us to that moment in 2013 when, when your um, journey that we're going to talk about today really began.
1: Yeah. So in 2013, I was pregnant with my daughter. Um, She's now five years old, and she is my first child. And I was getting a pedicure with my mom and my stepsister. And the woman, the nail tech, um, who was giving my pedicure started massaging my feet and she noticed a pea size nodule on my right foot. And she asked me if I had ever noticed it before. And I didn't, I never noticed it. And you honestly, you couldn't even see it unless you really pressed down hard on my foot, like just pea size. Like, I mean, like, was
0: it like, like a pimple or something?
1: No, like it literally, like you couldn't see it if it was, um, if you were just looking down at my foot, but if you like put applied pressure to the top of my foot, it was almost like, almost like a little pebble underneath. Like it was like, you know, it was kind of dense okay. um, and it just didn't, um it didn't really pronounce itself unless you really like you know applied the pressure so I went home and I had a family physician in my um, a physician in my family a, who's a general surgeon look at it and he said oh this is nothing to worry about this is probably a ganglion cyst which is just a benign cyst nothing to worry about nothing cancerous nothing harmful they're just kind of a nuisance and they tend to pop up on hands and feet so I After that, I really didn't think much of it and it never really changed. And then when I got pregnant again in 2014, my kids are 14 months apart. During my second pregnancy is when it went from the size of a pea to the size of a golf ball on top of my foot. Whoa. Same area, same place, same, same place, same nodule, same, just the same thing just grew. So from there, I knew obviously I wanted to have it looked at again, ganglion cysts are supposed to be able to grow in size. It wasn't super alarming. Um so I waited until after I had my second child because I was having a C-section again. I had C-sections with both of my kids. And obviously anybody who's been through the process, you know it's an 8 week healing process. Yeah. And so I knew obviously having foot surgery, I would need to be able to physically carry myself on crutches. So I wanted to wait to have any kind of procedure done until I would be able to do that. So Fast forward, I had my son and I had um, a scan of my foot done and I went to a dermatologist and the scans were very unclear. So he sent me to an orthopedic oncologist. Um, As soon as I heard the word oncologist, obviously, you know, your mind goes to a million places and he didn't even say anything about cancer. He just said, I'm sending you to an orthopedic oncologist and that was it. So I remember leaving his office, bawling my eyes out, not knowing what was going on. And I went and met with this amazing physician who, I mean, now I can say he saved my life, um, but he's he's amazing. And so I went, um, I had a biopsy done and all the results came back benign, but because of where it was on my foot, you know, it wasn't painful, but it was just kind of awkward. And I could, I obviously it was the size of a golf ball. So it was yeah. causing issues with different types of shoes and, and that sort of thing. So we decided I needed to have it removed anyway.
0: And meanwhile, I want to time out here because, uh, your children are 14 months apart. So meanwhile, you've got, I'm just trying to like picture what life is like for you at this point. You've got toddler, newborn, and they're sending you to an oncologist. I want to make sure people are hearing that.
1: So not only was it toddler, newborn oncologist, it was toddler, newborn. I just lost my eight-year insurance career to a restructure. Um, After three rounds of restructures, my region along with three others was eliminated the week before I was scheduled for my second (laughs) C-section. And like you, I ended up joining a network marketing company that was amazing because not only did it allow me to focus on health and wellness, but I was able to replace my corporate income and be home with my kids. So yeah. all of that was happening in the process of a cancer diagnosis that we didn't know was cancer yet, two new young children. Yeah, it was a lot at that time. Well,
0: and you probably didn't know that network marketing gig was going to replace your full-time income at the time. <laughs> like, no, this no. must have been just, ins- I mean, when you look back, like Is it hands down the most insane time of your life? Yes. I mean, honestly, I feel like the last four
1: years have just been the most insane time of my life, just because of the way that things have played out. but or maybe even 5 years at this point but um but yeah but it's just one of those things where you're like oh i, I actually survived all of this so
0: <laughs> okay keep going so this oncologist obviously we know now i mean he saved your life um so you you met with him and then what from there so i met
1: with him we had the biopsies done everything came back benign. He was like this, you know, everything came back benign, but we probably should remove this because of where it is and how large it is. So I agreed. We said, let's do it. So on December 3rd, 2014, I had the, um, the mass removed. And then I went back 10 days later for what I thought was just to check my incision, possibly take stitches out. No big deal. So I had my three-month-old and my 17-month-old with me, and he told me that the um, biopsy did not show all the results. And when my mass went to pathology post-surgery, it actually showed to be sarcoma. And it was a very funky, strange, weird type of sarcoma. And if you don't know what sarcoma is, sarcoma is a rare type of cancer that has no known cure at this time. Wow. So I'm sitting in the office and you, I mean, if you've ever had any kind of, you know, cancer diagnosis yourself or somebody that is close to you, it's just one of those things where it's almost like an outer body experience. I mean, you're listening and you're watching their mouths move, but you just, you know, you're so just emotionally drained in that moment that you just can't absorb all the information. So I just remember sitting there and seeing his mouth move. And I just like, I couldn't, taken everything he was saying. But I remember saying, okay, well, what if I don't want to have to deal with this again? What are my options? And in my mind, I'm Mm. thinking, okay, we're going to go in, we're going to have another surgery to carve out a clean margin, even though I really don't want to do that, but it is what it is. And he looked at me and said, if you don't want to have to worry about this again, you're going to have to amputate your right foot. And I just remember at that moment, the fear, um, was stronger than anything I had ever felt before. And so I just remember thinking like, how can this be my life? But at that point, we didn't know when we did the surgery that we were doing a quote unquote cancer surgery. So we could have gotten clean margins or we may not have. And so Mm -hmm. choosing to be watched at that time was not unreasonable. And so I chose to be watched. And the type of sarcoma that I had, um, it was low grade. It was slow growing. So if it was going to do anything, I was going to have time to do something about it. Okay which put me at an advantage. So if it was going to spread anywhere, it would go to my lungs. So every three months, the first year I had my foot scanned and my lungs. And then second year it was every six months. And then the third year was when I could go annual and then, January 2nd of 2018 is when I went for my scans and they showed change on my foot, Uh. but we assumed that if it was going to come back, it would come back the same way it started a small spot and then it would grow. But unfortunately for me, it came back as a three millimeter layer over my entire right foot. And so there was nothing that could have be, that could be done to save it. So, um, we decided to do a punch biopsy instead of a needle biopsy, because obviously the first time around it didn't show. Um, yeah. the cancer cells. Right. So we did that. Everything came back. Um, it confirmed that my sarcoma was in fact back, but because of how it came back and where it was located, there was no room for a clean margin. I mean, take your fingers. If you run them over your hand or run them over the top of your foot, you know, what do you feel? There's nothing there. It's skin, it's bone, it's tendon. So mm-hmm. there was no going in. It's not like if it was in your thigh or your arm, you know, there's just nothing there. So from there, I got several other opinions at, um, very well known medical facilities um, all over the country. And the consensus was the same that I had no other option. So if I wanted to prevent it from spreading to my lungs and taking my life in the end, then I was going to have to lose my right foot. And I remember my doctor kind of redirecting me because he knew how gut wrenching, the idea of losing my foot was, especially because I'm very active and I have two small kids and I like to run and I like to work out. And the thought of losing that mobility was just horrendous to me. And I just remember him saying, if you want to be there to watch your kids grow up, if you want to watch them graduate high school, if you want to dance with your kids at their weddings, you're going to do this. And from there, I knew I was going to do it and it was an easy decision to make, but it was really, really tough to accept.
0: I I mean, you've got to compliment, you've got to compliment that physician for really painting the picture for you. You know, our mobility—it's something that we can enjoy every single day, especially for us runners, right? It's a gift that we're able to, pun intended, exercise every day. But right? When he's painting a picture like that, like, do you want to dance at the wedding? Um, I, I'm sure it stopped you in your tracks.
1: I mean, absolutely. I feel like you know the idea of losing my mobility i just remember when he, we were talking about it and i said am i ever going to walk again and i just remember like tears streaming down my face asking this and he said walk again i hope you're going to run again oh. and i remember when he said it and i just like it was almost like i couldn't accept that that could be a thing afterwards i just i didn't know anyone who had had an amputation i didn't know anyone personally who was missing a limb and what their process was so mm-hmm. for me this was just total uncharted territory and so As I obviously started to research on my own and kind of navigate through it, I made two goals for myself before my operation. One was that I was going to walk unassisted without crutches before my birthday, which my surgery was on March 12th. My birthday was May 12th. Um, And I walked unassisted without crutches on May 10th. Wow. So So you gave yourself two months. Yep. I gave myself two months. But one thing that I always like to tell people, because I feel like my... Even though my situation was very unfortunate, I feel like my process um, moved along a lot faster than most. And I say that based on feedback my physicians have given me, my prosthetist has given me, and then also just talking with other amputees. So I was fitted for a prosthesis at four weeks. Uh, or four and a half weeks which is pretty early most people don't get fitted that early so my healing was going well um now that doesn't have anything to do with the amount of pain i was in or the amount of phantom pain I was experiencing, that's a whole other conversation, a whole other ballgame. But as far as my actual incision healing, it was doing really well, which is why I was allowed to be fitted that early. So yes, so I was able to walk eight and a half weeks post-op without crutches. But when I say walk, another thing that I kind of need to preface is that this walking was in short spurts. I think in my mind, I had this unrealistic expectation that I was going to put this new leg on and be back to my normal self. And that's not how it works. So you definitely have to learn to build up a tolerance. You have to learn how to balance. Um, you have to learn how to carry yourself in a whole new way. I mean, from the trunk down, you're just, you're using your body in a whole new
0: capacity. And so you just kind of have to learn how to navigate that. Wow. And I I mentioned this in the intro, you know, you were very open with, um, I mean, it straight up went viral. Um, So you did a Facebook Live before you were going into surgery. Um, If folks look up hashtag move for Jen or hashtag move because you can, I mean, they're going to see post after post after post folks supporting you, like during the time of your surgery, as well as since. What made you decide? I mean, that's a pretty private, intimate thing that you're going through? What made you decide to kind of open up and and be um, public about it?
1: So there's a few things. So for me personally, going through this process, I mean, it was so emotionally draining for me, especially before the surgery because the fear was just so unreal. And I'm very open about my whole journey because I feel like there's so many different parts of it that even though not everybody goes through an amputation like I did, but there are plenty of people who go through cancer and a cancer surgery. And it's terrifying. And it's the same emotion. And Mm -hmm. I think for me, you know, I was literally before, you know, normally, I'm like a very outgoing, happy, positive person. And then after my diagnosis, and knowing that I was going to be losing my foot, I literally was surviving on antidepressants and anti anxiety meds. And I'm open about that, because I feel like that's a topic that is not talked about enough. And too many people feel alone when they don't need to feel alone. And so, so what her- I
0: hear you saying is, I mean, cause I can hear the enthusiasm in your voice straight up. I think anybody that's listening to this is like, man, this girl's like sunshine and flowers. <laughs> but I mean, you're saying that it's like, Hey, I, I got here with a lot of help to include pharmaceuticals and it sounds like counseling and that kind of thing.
1: Um, I didn't have counseling, but I did, um, I did have, you know, obviously, yes, I I did have antidepressants going through this because I, I mean, how could, how could I not? Right. Um, It was just one of those things where I'm a very like happy go lucky active person. And then I became this recluse version of myself that could barely Mm. get off the couch. But once I had my surgery, It was almost like that fog was lifted. And going back to your, to your question about kind of why I was so open about my whole entire journey. Well, one, it was really difficult for me to repeat my story over and over, even to my very close circle of friends and family, because it was so emotionally draining. So for me, I started blogging and it was my way of letting everybody know where I was with only having to say it once. Yes, and it just became easier for me, and so I started blogging about it. And then the week before my surgery on March seventh, I just a couple of weeks before, I felt compelled to do this Facebook live, and I, literally it was with the intention of going out to friends and family. Like I said, I'm a health and wellness coach. Um, I help people obviously improve their health and you know encourage people to be active. And so in my message, it was just to remind people that mobility is a gift, and to get out mm. and move because you can and to exercise in your favorite form in my honor and in honor of everybody who wants to, but couldn't on my surgery date. And what I expected to go out to a few friends and family um, ended up being watched by 86,000 people. And so <laughs> wow. the move for Jen hashtag was created. And then I remember waking up from, hos- from my surgery in the hospital and my husband's like, get your phone, get your phone, get your phone. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And he's like, get your phone. And we pull up my phone. And literally there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of posts. I just remember sitting in the hospital bed, just like tears streaming down for all these people who – cared enough to get out and really hear my message, um, mm-hmm. and allow it to affect them emotionally and to feel compelled to get out and move. I mean, I had people, um, who messaged me, who said I've dealt with severe depression and I haven't gotten off the couch in a year. And I took my dog on a walk and I feel the best I have felt in a really long time. Thank you so much for inspiring me to do that. I mean, stuff like that, you just can't, I mean, it's just the emotion behind it. It's just, I just you can't. I mean, and I, I I had friends and family and strangers all over from New Zealand to Alaska to um, I'm trying to think of all the countries, London, um, uh, South America. I mean, all over the U.S. I had people from everywhere from walking your dog to going on a run to running a marathon to um, wow. little kids in dance classes holding signs that say "Move for Jen" who didn't even know me. I mean, it was just so
0: touching. That'll lift a fog. And something I want to point out, Jen, I mean, obviously you are doing the work that God needs you in as a wellness coach, because is it so wellness coach that in the moment of like your need, you asked folks to celebrate themselves with movement. I just, I want to point that out. Like it takes a very unselfish giving person to to do that. Like you get one big ask and, and you ask folks to celebrate like movement and their body's ability to do something great. I, just,
1: I feel like it's something that we all take for granted. And I feel like it's just something that just seems like it should just be there. And then when it's taken away, it's just such an eye opener of what a gift it is. And I feel like mm-hmm. my experience kind of showed everybody
0: in my network that that truly is a gift. Wow. Yes. Yes. What a cool. So, okay. So then two months, you're able to walk. Maybe not like your mind's eye of being this graceful, you know, (laughs) long endurance hike up a mountain. Right. But you're able to walk unassisted in two months. Yes. Talk to me. I know. um, Wow. I mean, folks, I'm going to put in the show notes um, just some of the articles about you, Jen. I hope that that's okay. So that you see the details. But you have since, done a 5k, you're back running and in orange theory and you're training currently for an even longer race. Can you talk to me a little bit about that?
1: Yeah. So again, before my surgery, how I said I made the two goals. One was to walk unassisted before my birthday and the other was to run a 5k before the end of the year. So I had in my mind that I was going to meet this goal. And so I um obviously wasn't able to get a blade right away because like I said, you have to build up the tolerance. Um, Mm. But several months after, I was actually gifted a running blade by a prosthetic company called Endolite. And they gifted a blade to me, which was the most incredible gifts. And I remember the first time I got to actually use it and be fitted for it. So one thing that folks probably don't realize is that it's not just a blade. So you have a socket that is made like, you know, when you break your leg and they put a cast on you, they Mm -hmm. do that to your residual limb. So that way they can make a carbon fiber um, socket for your foot or whatever you're using attaches to that. So I had that made and then the blade was given to me and, um, and I was able to start running. I want to say it
0: was like seven weeks before the race. I started training. Now, John, um, do people fun. usually, so obviously you've got a prosthetic like for that unassisted walk and everything. What is this tacky? I mean, does insurance typically cover all of the things you need to do the activities you want or is this a lot of out-of-pocket expense? Oh, typically? I'm so glad
1: you asked asked this question because it is so um, – it's something that people just don't realize. So insurance will cover one basic prosthetic, and that is to be able to walk from point A to point B. Ah, so you can't now, say I want a running blade. <laughs> so, so you can't just say, I want a running blade. Um, but what they do is they ask you a series of questions and they classify you based on your life. So your career, mm. your home life, your activity level, everything. So I was classified as the highest active person that you can be. Okay. And that allowed me to, I guess, get a quote unquote walking foot that does a little bit more and has, um, has a little bit more um I guess you could say torque to it because I can like it it just has better movement if that makes sense okay um because there are some that literally are like having a block under you and it's just up down up down but mine has like you know it does kind of roll like a foot would roll okay. so um but it's not made to go out on a race and run yeah um and that's why the blade is separate so anything extra is completely out of pocket on you so a running blade um, a swimming foot, a waterproof leg, anything like that, is completely out of pocket. And these prosthetics can range anywhere between five and fifty thousand dollars plus, depending on what kind you get and what kind you need. And that's not including the socket that needs to be made for that as well, because those wow. are usually between five and ten thousand dollars also. Which is why once I realized um, what a gap this was um, and how. There's probably so many people out there who want to be active, who used to be active, who can't be active because they can't afford to be active. And yeah. that killed me. So my husband and I started a foundation, which we can go more into in a little bit, but um, called the Move for Gen Foundation. And what we do is we bring awareness to sarcoma, which is the rare type of cancer um, that I had. But there's many types of sarcoma. I just had a subtype of it. Um, and then from there, we also are funding grants for activewear prosthetics to help fund running blades for people people who want to get back active after losing a limb to sarcoma or other affiliated diseases.
0: That is so, it's so great. And it's very, just, it's very providential that you're doing, you've gone through a lot to be able to do this type of work, but what a blessing that is for, yeah, for those that want to be active, but then there's that, that cost barrier,
1: right? And that kills me. I mean, nobody should be denied being able to get out and run or take their dog on a run or run with their kids or sign up for a 5K or a 10K or whatever they want to do. I mean, it just that kills me. And so I'm really hoping that our foundation can make a difference and kind of fill that gap. And we were actually able to give our first grant grant in December to a local firefighter who was 20 years old who lost his leg to wow. osteosarcoma, which is um, in your bone um, this past May. And we were able to surprise him and it was the, it was the biggest gift. I mean, for me, just being able to give that um, made my entire year. And it just kind of, I'm not this person who's like, everything happens for a reason. I don't believe that, but I do feel like like being able to do work like this and be able to gift people back their mobility shows purpose
0: in what happened to me. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, congratulations on being able to give that gift to that young firefighter. Ah, I'm pivoting again. Um, well, so talk to me though, a little bit about your own fitness goals. So now you've got your foundation going, you've got your blade. Um, so you can be that runner that you were prior to 2013. What are you doing with it?
1: Yes. So I actually ran. um, So if you're in North Carolina or you're in the Charlotte area, um, there's an amazing foundation local called the Isabella Santos Foundation, and they focus on um, children's cancer, pediatric cancer. And they had a race in September that I actually ran with a team of 137 people. And we ran the entire 5K. I ran it without stopping, um, and I completed the race. And it was probably one of the best moments of my entire life and probably the most accomplished I feel like I've ever felt. Um, So I ended up running that full 5K six and a half months post-op and only training for seven weeks. And after that race, I thought, okay, well, if I did this in seven weeks, I can definitely do more. So I'm training right now for the Cooper River Bridge Run in Charleston, which is the first weekend in April, and
0: I'm really excited for that the bridge run so like yes i i'm smiling ear to ear right now because like the bridge run run you guys this is not like as terrain goes right as a train goes for a road race it's not the easiest one that you can do <laughs> jen you well, love a good challenge don't you
1: i do i'm like give me a go and watch me do it because i think for me it's all in mind game i just know for me I, it's almost like I just need to prove to myself that I can do it. And it just proves each time I get to kind of hit a new goal and check a new mark off. It just proves to myself that there really are no limits and there really are no barriers. And it's just, it, it just helps me feel more like me. Oh,
0: that is so cool. So, um, you're, you're training for that. Can you just tell me a little bit? I mean, have you had ups and downs in this training? I,
1: Oh yeah. I mean, think
0: about if you, if for somebody, well, back up for
1: a sec. So for me being a below the knee amputee on the right side, um, I use 25% more energy to do everyday things and running and exercising than somebody with two legs. So right there it's mm-hmm. harder. Right. Yeah. Um, but for me, think about if you take a couple of days off, from working out and then you go back, I mean, you know how you feel. You're like, oh, this is just so tough, right? Right. So for me, it's probably times 10. So I was in physical therapy for quite some time. Um, I am taking a little bit of a break from it right now. I'm planning on going back to it, but I am in Orange Theory several times a week. And then I'm also doing Pure Bar, which was recommended. I did Pure Bar before, um, but my physical therapist pushed it even more because it focuses on maxing out different muscle groups Mm -hmm. and so it kind of helps me with kind of rebuilding some of that muscle because right now for me i'm really working on trying to rebuild um the muscle in my right leg especially in my quad so it's a combination of kind of training to build my endurance back build up the tolerance to be able to take the pounding on my leg from running but also you know, rebuilding the muscle and kind of getting myself back Um, because I'm not all the way back. I feel like the majority of my physical therapy that I spent this year, I was so focused on being able to complete that 5k and run again um, and walk again that I wasn't as focused on rebuilding, if that Mm -hmm. makes sense. Yeah. So that was just kind of now I'm kind of at a point where I'm kind of shifting gears and it's kind of more of a combination of the two.
0: Well, I can tell that you're approaching your fitness, you know, with a health and longevity uh, lens, as opposed to just getting out there and, um, and crossing things off a list. Although, um, yeah, I, I don't know that I've ever spoken with anyone with as much tenacity. Give me a goal and watch me do it. I can hear it in your voice. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, I mean, you're clearly an inspiration for everyone listening, everyone that has seen you at that 5K in the fall and that will see you in Charleston. I mean, did you expect to have this kind of platform? What does it feel like?
1: No, I didn't. Um, I honestly, I was so, it, you know, it's crazy when you look back at what, what a year, right? People are like, oh, what can happen in a year? I mean, I went from being this, you know, regular person to getting this horrendous news to going from being this happy, go lucky, outgoing, personable person to being this recluse, Depressed version of myself to finding myself again, but it's just one of those crazy things where I just I feel like the more I push myself and the more I use my story to help someone else, the more I'm okay with my situation. If that makes sense, yeah. Um, it, it, it's just one of those things I feel like. I'll never understand why this happened to me. Um, I'll, I'll never be fully okay that this happened to me, but I am accepting that this is how things are. And I've realized that I can do all the same things. Sometimes I just have to find a new way to do it. And that makes it okay.
0: You know, we talk on this podcast often about modeling healthy behaviors for the next generation. What, I mean, what an amazing thing it is for you. You have something that could be a really legit, great excuse and instead, you're modeling for your two kids how, like, nothing is an obstacle. What do they think of mommy with her blade?
1: Oh, I'm so glad that you just said that because you just triggered, like, my favorite story about my daughter. So my daughter had a fun run at school. And let me just preface, she is not the most athletic. Um, She is very artsy, and she – I mean, she's, my son is more of my active one. Like he'll go on runs with me, but my daughter, she's just not that into it. So she has this fun run at school where you're supposed to run 50 laps. And I remember everybody joking like, oh, she's probably going to do, you know, 10 or 12 and be done. And she finished all 50 laps. And at the end of the race, she came up to me and she said, with the biggest grin, she said, mommy, I did all 50 laps. And you know what? I didn't give up. And I just sat back and I remember thinking, oh, my gosh, she is watching. And I remember leaving the race because it was in the middle of school and then parents could come and then the kids went back to class. And after she said that to me right before I left, I went in my car and I just bawled my eyes out because I just thought, what an impression I have made on the most important little girl in my entire life. And if she got anything from that, I mean, that was more than what I could have ever expected her to absorb
0: at five years old. That is, that is awesome. That, oh, that is awesome. I, I'm tearing up a little bit here in that story. <laughs> what a gift, what a gift for you. And you're right. They are always watching and you, without even saying anything, look at the lesson you taught her. She did not give up. That's great.
1: Thank you. Yeah. No, they're, I mean, they're both such good kids. I really, I mean, I feel like with kids in any situation, I feel like a lot of times we underestimate how much they can understand and how well they can cope with things. And I feel like I was just as open with them as I possibly could be from the beginning in terms they could understand. Mm -hmm. And they were very receptive. They were very helpful. And now with my situation, they don't look at people with differences any differently they really just truly see the person and I feel like that's one positive thing that's really come out of my situation
0: absolutely there are folks that live a lifetime that can't do that and your kids already can
1: I know it's crazy I'm really proud of them so I want to ask before I get
0: into the way that I close these podcasts these days which is a rapid fire I want to ask you um you know what's what's next for the foundation? because that is, like you said, one of the, the most important things to come out of this. Um, what it, What is next? Are you going to continue awarding these grants and growing awareness through the foundation? Is this a long- term thing for you? Oh, this is definitely a long-term thing. We are in the process
1: of doing some smaller events. We have a smaller event actually this Thursday um, at Era Workshop in Charlotte. We are doing some other smaller events. Um, next month, we have one with Basante Pizza um, and some smaller things coming like that. And then we're actually planning our first 5K. We're in the works of that, and I'll be announcing details of that later on in the year.
0: Awesome. Well, definitely listeners of this podcast can stay tuned for that because I will help you pump that up. Are you ready to do rapid fire, Jen Andrews? I'm ready. Shoot them <laughs> out. <laughs> All right. So um, now you are an inspiration. You're a wellness coach. You are an advocate. Um, what did you want to be when you grew when you grew up when you were little? So this is so funny, but I used to want to be a talk show
1: host like Ricky Lake and Oprah.
0: But Oh, go Ricky, go Ricky.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but it's kind of funny because now that I've kind of shifted with things that are going, I'm in the middle of writing my first book and I'm actually focusing on doing speaking. So, um, that's it's kind of funny that that's what I wanted to do originally is be a talk show host and now my goal is to become a speaker.
0: You are writing a- You are the most interesting woman in the world, Jen. <laughs> you are Oh. Okay. You've got one hour to work out. What are you doing? Oh, gosh.
1: Um, I'm either, if I have one hour, I'm either at a Pure bar class or I'm at Orange
0: Theory because those are my two favorite out of anything. I love it. And I know, I mean, offline we've spoken about the importance of tribe and those people around you, and I know you've got some good tribe in both of those places.
1: Yes. Um, I... I'll cry talking about my people, but I, the support that I have through my friends and family and even people who are just acquaintances and even strangers. I mean, it's, it's unreal. And I think that I would probably not be where I am today emotionally
0: if it was not for these people. That's wonderful. It's wonderful that you recognize it as well. And, you know, I'm sure you are that person for others as well. Thank you. I hope so. This is the best one to end on. Can you tell us about an activewear ward- wardrobe malfunction? Is there a time that your activewear just went wrong? Ah,
1: uh, activewear just went wrong. Um I mean, let's be real. I need a good sports bra, and when you don't have one and you're running, I mean, you just feel like you're going to knock yourself out. And the other day, I was at Orange Theory with a girlfriend of mine, and both of us are running on the treadmill, and we thought, we really got to do better next time.
0: <laughs> well, this is the Run Lift Mom, many of whom are perhaps nursing. <laughs> so um, yeah, we know the importance of a good bra, for sure. For sure. For <sighs> sure. Jen, I have so enjoyed speaking with you. We will put all the important stuff in the show notes of this podcast. Um, Thank you so much for coming on Run Lift Mom. Thank you for having me. It was so fun. Awesome.
1: Have a good night.
0: I know you are all inspired by Jen's courage and strength. Her foundation, Move for Jen, was recently granted a 501c3 nonprofit status, and I really want to encourage you to check them out at moveforjen.org. That's moveforjen.org, and I've also linked it in the show notes. Move for Jen's foundation is to raise awareness through fundraising events and also help amputees afford or get activewear prosthetics, allowing them to regain strength and mobility faster by being active so they can get back to those activities that they enjoyed prior to amputation. Thank you so much, Jen Andrews, for sharing your personal story and coming on the Run Lift Mom podcast. Until I get into your earpiece again, remember, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also the life to come. That's from First Timothy 4-8, and this has been the Run Lift Mom Podcast. It's time for the Zaya Active Item of the Week. And this week, in honor of National Fanny Pack Day on March 9th, Yeah, that's a thing. It is the Ziya Active Fanny Pack. Guys, this is basically like a fuel belt with a Lululemon style blocket pocket on the expandable inside. That means that it expands so you can put your phone or multiple tubes of lip gloss, but also it's got that blocket type material which keeps things inside dry. So if you are a sweaty mess, you can put your phone in there without fear that everything is going to go wonky Electronics. I love this. It's a $22 price point. It clips really easily in the front and has reflective detail at the zipper. My favorite thing about products like this is going to races and being able to pin my race bib on the belt itself as opposed to my shirt or my multiple layers, right? Depending on the weather. So check out the Ziya Active Fanny Pack in the show notes and happy fanny pack day. During the month of February, I had a goal of getting a thousand downloads with the Run Lift Mom podcast. With your help, I was able to get to 2,500. Yeah! out of the park. Thank you so much for helping me with my launch month, but guys, I am just getting started. I want you to help me by rating, reviewing, and subscribing wherever you get your podcast. That really helps other folks find this show. And also, if you know somebody that would be a really cool interview for the Run Lift Mom podcast, make a warm introduction. My email is in the show notes. Thanks again for helping me get Run Lift Mom off to a great start.